This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Are you listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast? Tom and Brandy with you again on a Thursday morning, November the 23rd, uh, in which we have been looking at what the repercussions of all the shuffling around at OpenAI means for AI in general, generative AI in general, with Talal Thabit. He's the CEO of Haltia.ai, a local startup that's raising its own money. We get a bit on that as well. Well, the founder and CEO of Aveo.io has been speaking to us about what's going on at Binance, Matthew Dixon. And it's Thanksgiving. Turkeynomics. We've been speaking to Daniel Wannies, the co-founder of Carney Store, the only time we have ever discussed the perfect breast-to-leg ratio on the business breakfast. OpenAI wanted Sam Altman back. 700-odd employees threatened to walk. Microsoft said they'd employ them all. Um, And in today's episode um, of Altman versus the AI board, the OpenAI board, the board is out and Altman is back in. That certainly seems to be the case, Brandy Scott. OpenAI co-founder Sam Altman will return as boss just days after his fire by the board, according to the firm. The agreement in principle involving new board members being appointed uh, to the tech company, including... Larry Summers, Treasury Larry Secretary. Larry Summers. Former Treasury Secretary. Why is that raising eyebrows? Uh, because he's seen more as maybe a political player um, than a an OpenAI guru. Um, The suggestion also that this board isn't finished, that Microsoft um, might end up with a uh, a seat and a bit more oversight and governance and steering in the company that it's put an awful lot of money into. So, uh, should we hear from some of the players involved here? Because we've got uh, words from Satya Nadella here, the Microsoft CEO, because he's been one of the key players in this drama. Yep, thought to have brokered um, the deal to get Sam back into um, OpenAI. Now, this is him speaking on Monday. Monday was a long time ago in OpenAI history, wasn't it? This 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 was years ago in OpenAI history. Um, but talking um, about uh, Sam Altman and his relationship with Microsoft. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, I think it's very, very clear that something has to change around the governance. Or, and if that's sort of, you know, and we'll have a good dialogue with their board on that. And, uh, and we'll, you know, walk through that as time evolves. But the most important thing for me, for customers to know is today we have all the capability. And this is where I know we love to talk about uh you know, here's a way to th- the thought experiment. Sam Altman once chose Microsoft, and he chose Microsoft again. Why do you think that is? It is because of the capability of our company to be able to innovate with OpenAI. And so that should speak volumes to why customers can have confidence that come what may, Microsoft will be there, will continue to have the products, and lead in AI. That's, I think, the core message for our customers. It reminds me of that classic British comedy scene. Apologies to all those uh, that have not seen this classic British comedy scene. But there was a series back in, what was it, late 90s, early 2000s or something like that called Mrs. Merton, 
who are, used to ask uh, impertinent and rather stinging and, and leading questions uh, of B-list, C-list, D-list celebrities. Uh, one of them was um, Debbie McGee, who was the assistant uh, to a famous magician in the sort of 80s and 90s in the UK called Paul Daniels. And I think the leading question was to Debbie McGee, what was it that you... And, and Paul Daniels was a big name in, in sort of entertainment, things like that. But fair to say, he was no Brad Pitt, that's for sure. Wasn't a great looker. And I think the question was along the lines to Debbie McGee is, Debbie, 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 do tell us, what, what did you see in the multimillionaire Paul Daniels? Yeah. What, what did first attract you to the $10 billion investment from Microsoft? That was going to be my question. <laughs> yeah. So the Sam Altman, yeah. what, what did you see in the, uh, the $10 billion investment from your friends at Microsoft? Why is it that you have this bizarre relationship with them? Mm. Oh, it's a good question. Maybe and I'm being fickle, but... The, look, I mean, you were saying yesterday that, that money talks... Um, uh, most people expecting in the next 24, 48 hours, Microsoft to have a seat on this board and a bit more visibility into what's going on in the company that it has invested quite so much money in. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think this is evidence. We're all scraping around that. Look, we're back to base. We're back to square one. Friday, everything went. Maybe just wanted a weekend off. <laughs> yeah, can't be bothered putting in a leave application. You know what? They talk about how much they work, etc. And it's, you know, they're working 17 hours a day and weekends and seven days. Maybe just... Maybe just wanted to go away for the weekend or something. So caused a bit of a brouhaha on a Friday afternoon, as we all do. Got the weekend off and has enjoyed it. But no, it's 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 rocked the industry, and it's asked a number. It's, it's got people asking a number of questions with regards to the industry. So it'd be interesting to see what 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 comes out in the wash here. But what we do know is that, as you've said, Sam Altman's stock has rocketed, skyrocketed at the moment, uh, but also. The other element is the fact that I think it throws into uh, the mix this ongoing conversation about what next for AI. We know that Sam Altman is school of let's go, let's press go, let's see how much we can commercialise this, let's see how much we can do with this. Whereas others, potentially some of the other board members who might have ousted him on Friday, were a bit more, ooh, let's just, let's just hold on to those reins a little tighter if we can. So watch this space. Yeah, and as Tom said there, it does leave the question of what does it mean for AI development and that delicate balance between safety and commercialism. We are going to speak um, to one AI startup here um, that is looking to raise money at the moment. They're looking towards their Series A funding. They're in active talks with potential investors. They're making what one of their people describes as Siri on steroids, um, which is kind of like an AI PA on your phone. We'll find out more, but we'll also find out um, what this means for the, as Tom says, the speed of development of AI. Other things that we are looking at this morning, uh, one is that OPEC decision to push back the meeting that we were expecting on Saturday, oil falling as a result. John Walters, senior economist at Emirates NBD, is putting that in context for us. Oil prices fell yesterday with Brent futures ending the day just below $82 a barrel. This was driven by news of higher US crude inventories and an announcement that OPEC Plus have rescheduled their meeting, which had been planned for this Sunday. Reports suggest that the delay is due to ongoing discussions about quotas for member countries, particularly African producers. The group will now meet on the 30th of November.
Jean Walters, of senior economist at Emirates NBD. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. The return of Sam Altman to OpenAI after four or five days of chaos. There's a new board. There's an investigation into the original board's charge of Altman's lack of communication. And we're wondering what it means for the AI community as a whole. To talk us through it, uh, we have one of the UAE's newest AI companies. Talal Fabit is the CEO of Haltia.ai. Thank you for joining us. It's nice to see you. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Let's have a look at the bigger picture for what we have seen with OpenAI and the CEO, ex-CEO, Microsoft new business lead CEO again, Sam Altman. How damaging or not has the last five days activities been to the development of AI as a whole? Uh, the only part of this that's damaging is damaging to the board, but I don't I don't see it as damaging to the company at all. As a matter of fact, it's probably strengthened the relationship between the profit side of ChatGPT uh, and OpenAI um, with uh, Microsoft. Let's talk about that in a bit more detail because one of the assumed schisms. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, to be a fly on the wall in some of these discussions over the last few days. Um, its thought has been between the commercialization of AI and the safety. Some of the board members that had gone had written papers previously, etc., um, on the need to go slowly and carefully. Are you saying commercialization is one? Yes, commercialization is one, um, but it's uh, it's really about the relationship between the commercialization and Microsoft. You got to think about it, Brandy, a little bit about. Um, what, does, what does this mean to Microsoft, right? Microsoft is already a giant, but it's losing the battle on the chip side, on the, on the search side, right? And um, having control, well, 49%, I should say, actually, uh, of the uh, profit side of the company is huge. And then Sam Altman's um, uh, and Microsoft's, shall we say, dream of having their own chips and not being held ransom to NVIDIA. So with the TPU, not the GPU, a more powerful chip just puts everything into Microsoft and OpenAI's hands. What could it mean for the speed of development for AI in general? If you say commercialization has won, um, does it mean that we will start to see things move even faster across the industry as a whole? Well, I wouldn't say faster, but it, it really, it, what you need to do is you need to look at the actual objectives and goals of Microsoft and also OpenAI. The original goal was to reach to an AGI, right? Um, and that is really the goal and the premise of why OpenAI was put together in 2015 between Sam and Elon. Um, now with this chip and with Microsoft's objectives, it's very possible that they'll have their, shall we say, their destiny in their own hands if they hold that chip. Could it change what investors ask for in terms of governance? 100%. Visibility when they're investing? 100%. And they should. Why not? It's their money. But let's remember, OpenAI started as a nonprofit company. 
right? And then Elon decides to walk away when it becomes a profit company. Walking away was not just that simple. He walked away with a billion dollars supposedly to be invested in OpenAI. When you walk away with a billion dollars that was supposed to be invested into a uh, spreadsheet, you're leaving a huge hole, right? So Microsoft did not invest in OpenAI's nonprofit and invested in its profit. So Sam has an argument. And the argument is, I've got a hole of a billion dollars. I need to make money. It's that simple. Do you expect Microsoft to insist on a seat on this board, though? More governance, more oversight? Um, no, because it's 49% shareholder of the profit, and that's all they care about. Let's have a look at what you guys are doing at Haltia.a. I've had described to me what you're building as being Siri on steroids. Which bit of the AI world are you trying to take? Well, we're not looking for global dominance, if that's what you mean, right? We're we're an adaptive personal AI, and we're the most secure personal AI in the world. Security and data privacy is going to be one of the most important things in the future of AI, if you're talking to your AI with the most private thoughts and and uh, things that revolve around your life. So you're going to need security. And with the number of breaches that have happened, um, the last one I remember was in August with the UK electoral, right? Um, they lost 40 million profiles. Um, yes, privacy is going to be really important. And we're the most private personal AI being built in the world at the moment. And it's here in the UAE. How do you make it more private, more personal? Well, we just don't go on the cloud, right? It's really simple. We put the LLM, the large language model, and we put it on your phone, on your device. So that means everything you engage, everything you do, it never has to connect to the cloud. Um, So as long as you don't lose your phone, (laughs) you're good. What does that mean that I need, though, in terms of memory? Do I not need Well, you need the latest uh, iPhone. All right, so what we're, what we're going to launch with um, next year is a, a personal AI that's, uh, should we say, that fits iOS, uh, all iOS products. So the, the watch, the iPad, the Mac, um, and your iPhone. And while we are talking about investors, where are you in your funding journey at the moment? Well, we're just about to start talking to investors about safes. Uh, are you familiar with safe agreements, Brandy? Talk to me. Yeah. So a safe agreement is an agreement between us and an investor that says, look, I'll give you a little bit of money, right, as long as you give me a discount on your uh, Series A, right? Um, I have every intention of investing more um, as long as I get to see a little bit more, right? Um, so that's what we're working with now. We'll be going into our pre-revenue raise, raising $42 million on a $280 million valuation um, within the next two to three months. So watch this space. 30 seconds. What's the atmosphere like for, for raising at the moment? We're hearing a lot about Oh, it's the- fantastic. It is absolutely fantastic. Um, as long as your product is right, You've got the right team. We're over 30 people um, here in the UAE. We're over 15 and the rest are around the world. The UAE is a perfect place to do this because it's a techno-optimist nation. Um, and is there money in AI? There are. Um, there is maybe a little bit less than 2021, 
right? But uh, yes, it's right there. Haltier.ai CEO Talal Fabit speaking to us this morning on the Business Breakfast. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. So we've been looking at the Sam Altman situation throughout the course of the last couple of days. Uh, that seems to have sort of come to a conclusion of sorts. Uh, but what about the other big CEO play of the day, uh, or certainly of the last couple of days? And that is what's happening down at Binance. Binance Chief Executive Shangpeng Zhao has resigned after pleading guilty to money laundering violations. Now, a lot of people were expecting that that would have a significant knock-on effect, uh, not just to Binance, but also to the crypto industry as a whole. Hmm... Not really. Binance has seen outflows of more than a billion dollars in the past 24 hours. Uh, and that figure doesn't even include Bitcoin, according to data from blockchain analysis firm Nansen. However, uh, there's still more than 65 billion worth of assets remaining on Binance. So what does this tell us about the market? Well, who better to ask than the team from uh, Evo.io. The founder and the CEO of Evo.io is Matthew Dixon, who's battling the traffic at the moment, being kind enough, though, to join us live on the line. Morning to you, Matthew. Good morning, Tom. Pleasure to be here. Listen, sudden resignation from such uh, an iconic uh, figure in the crypto uh, and the blockchain market, one would assume that would have a very negative impact on the market. But according to what we're seeing at the moment, that's not the case. Yeah, very interesting. The markets really have spoken. So we've actually seen um, a bit of a buyback, actually. There's a little bit of um, an effect initially. But this is very, very different to the what happened with FTX um, a few months ago. Um, that really, you know, there's a completely different situation where there was um, a loss, a complete loss of confidence, and a really sharp sell-off. This time is completely different, and the market has spoken, as I say. Um, and I think it's been a long time coming. This was not a major surprise to um, people in the market. So. All in all, it's actually quite a positive sign it can be taken as that the regulators, um, they certainly need to be seen to be doing something. And this is, I think, very much a visible act, action um, just to show that the, you know, the regulators are serious. Um, uh, but I think overall, as I say, it's a positive and it's a very different situation to FTX or Luna even before that. Yeah, the, the naysayers, the doomsdayers were, were expecting it to be worse. It certainly is. Let's look at the, um, the, the, the findings, if we can. And as I mentioned, uh, uh, CZ basically putting his hands up, said, look, I made mistakes. I must take responsibility. This is best for our community, for Binance and for myself. Uh, the, the DOG, the Justice Department in the US, said it was requiring Binance um, uh, to pay $4.3 billion in penalties and forfeitures. It's gone on to say that Binance had helped users bypass sanctions around the world. What was your, your, your reading of these sanctions at the moment? Why did the DOJ take this decision and not, as you said, a harsher one in line with what we saw with FTX? Well, quite interestingly, they could potentially have sunk Binance if they had taken a harsher stance. Um, for me, again, this is a very positive um, action because it's seen, you know, I think what you can read from it and the, you know, the way you interpret this is there is a future in the crypto industry. Obviously, there's, you know, we're, we're very close to ETF regulation, um, where, which opens the market up to institutional adoption. 
And so you can see here that the intention wasn't to damage the industry beyond repair, but it's just to send out a very strong warning sign. And if you think back to the 2008 crisis, uh, no heads rolled there, um, you know, with the ratings agencies, misrating of assets and, um, uh, you know, the fallout that we had from that. But this is actually sending out a very strong sign. Obviously, CZ has resigned. You know, heads have rolled. There's been a fine, you know, eye-watering fine. But having said that, it's something that's well within the capability of the, the Binance giant to, to deal with that. And they've taken a very um, positive you know, approach with bringing, you know, bringing somebody in who can um, bring a steady hand, you know, steady the ship, as it were, and take things forward. So I think the, the authorities, um, again, this can be read as being quite positive. And just sending out the right signals that there is a future in crypto. They didn't want to damage crypto, um, you know, too badly. So overall, again, very, very positive, I think. And this is why the market is actually reacting positively at the moment. Yeah, I want to get on to the new boss in just a few moments' time. But before that, uh, the former boss as well. What next do you think, Matthew, for CZ? Well, uh, you know, obviously he's he's still very well respected. It's, I mean, it's not as though he it's he's done anything. Um, you know, if you look at the charges, there's nothing really dangerously criminal there. Um, and I think he's still very well respected with the industry. So, you know, people know him very well in Dubai. He spent a lot of time. You know, spends a lot of time here in Dubai. Uh, and I think he will be involved in the industry. I understand he's going to be looking at you know maybe mentoring other startups. Um, so he's still a key player in the industry, and I don't think we've seen the last of CZ at all. Uh, let's hear now from the new man in charge, from CZ to RT. I'll get your thoughts uh, about him in just a few minutes' time, Matthew. But in fact, this is a man, as again, we know well here in the region. Uh, let's hear from Richard Teng now, uh, who back in April last year uh, was at Blockchain. Uh, and the team here asking, can Dubai claim to be a crypto hub? We are at a very early stage of crypto adoption today, right? So probably 5% of global population has some exposure to crypto and blockchain, 95% doesn't have. In terms of wealth, probably less than 1% of traditional wealth is in, is in crypto. So we're at a very early stage of development of crypto adoption and formulation. What we are very happy with is uh, a lot of regulators are now looking to embrace and support this if you have Dubai that's excellent in this in this region, you have Bahrain Central Bank that's looking at that. You have uh, Abu Dhabi Global Market, of course. But we're very keen to work with regulators to come up with progressive framework that, on the one hand, support innovation, support the multiple pillars of growth that's needed for, for the economy. That was Richard Tang last year, uh, then as the regional head of MENA for Binance. Now the new boss. What can we expect from uh, RT moving forward? Well, as I say, I think um, he's a very safe pair of hands, uh, CEO of um, ADGM. He's got the right track record in terms of regulatory background. So I think, as I say, a really good safe pair of hands that can be trusted to take Binance forward. You know, as he rightly said some time ago or a year ago from, from that interview, um, you know, that we've seen the first wave of crypto adoption, which took Bitcoin from, you know, the Genesis block to 69,000 in record time. But now we're on the cusp of um, institutional adoption with the regulation of ETFs just you know, on the cusp of that. 
with um, Bitcoin, Ethereum, maybe others. So with this next wave of adoption coming through, it's great that Binance is in these safe hands. Now that I, I think that Binance will remain um, a world leader, uh, a world leading crypto exchange. And I think the future is potentially very bright. Now, it's not going to be without hurdles and bumps in the road. I'm sure there'll be lots of other potential issues, geopolitical, macroeconomic. But overall, as an exchange, I think Binance has a solid future with uh, under Richard Teng. Appreciate your insight into this one, Matthew. Thank you very much indeed for your time this morning. Matthew Dixon, founder and CEO of Evi.io, joining us live on the line and giving us his thoughts ahead of what has been, well, it's been a busy old week for CEO movements, be that in the tech, the crypto, the blockchain uh, spheres. It's all happening. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Where it is time for what Richard Dean, if he was here, would call turkeynomics. Well, I'm in line for Christmas as the turkey I am blessed. They're going to have me for supper and I'm going to be their guest. I've been invited for Christmas And I'll be dressed just right Maybe I'll have some stuffing When I'm eating this Christmas night Yeah, it's the start of turkey season, if you like. Thanksgiving today, leading up to the big bird at Christmas. Uh, And turkeys are cheaper in the US than they were at this time last year, down about 5 or 6%, depending at whose numbers you are looking at. Is it the same here in the UAE? Very pleased to be joined this morning by Carney Store's Turkey Carver-in-Chief. Daniel Wainies is in the studio. Morning, Dan. Good morning, Brandy. How are you? I am well. So, the price of a bird has fallen in the US. Has it done so here? No. So, last year, the US had a terrible bout of bird flu. Okay, and that caused U.S. birds. I'm surprised you said only 5 or 6% because I, I thought it was a lot more than that. U.S. birds were prohibitively expensive, so we did not import them. Um, the, the thing that happens here is that we have access to a global market. So all, most of the turkeys here last year were from Europe or even uh, Turkey. Turkeys from Turkey. <laughs> and uh, they, they, they were kind of flooding the market. And so the prices were able to stay somewhat the same. This year, uh, bird flu has moved over to Europe. And so European turkeys are very, very uh, expensive. About 80% of them have had to be culled. Uh, So we're back to America. America's cheaper again. And we have our uh, 12 tons of turkey ready for this this season. So we're all good. Is that how much you'll get through? Yeah, about 12 tons. Uh, Just for Thanksgiving? No, no, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So talk to me about sourcing those birds from the US. Are they different in any way? We tend to think of America as the land of super size me. Do you get a different yeah. class of bird? Yeah, we do. I mean, we, we're, I mean, we're strict in how we source, obviously. So no hormones, no antibiotics. We want naturally ranch-raised turkeys. And then we, we choose what's called white feather genetics. Uh, it's a Californian genetic. So they're, uh, they're good. They're better. We like the shape of them, uh, the breast-to-leg ratio, all those kind of things. What so, is a perfect breast-to-leg ratio, uh, uh, Dan? It's <laughs> so uh, it actually in in this part of the world, or a lot of a lot of parts of the world, actually, um, people want a sizable breast meat on their turkey. Uh, a lot of people actually just ask for the crown, the turkey crown, which is you take the legs off, you take the wings off, and it's just a nice heart-shaped 
turkey there without its legs and wings. Uh, and for that to happen, you have to have a, a good sized good size breasts. How big is Thanksgiving for you? For me personally, for Americans, for Americans, it is the biggest holiday of the year. I mean, it, it is the one holiday where most restaurants are closed. If, if you can imagine that, uh, even gas stations, a lot of them are closed. It's just bare essentials of, of healthcare or logistics, but it, it's very, very serious. The, the Thursday is off, the Friday is off. It's a four day weekend across the board. It's huge. Um, I've generally celebrated it. Most years I've been here as well. Um, of course, with, with Carney Store, we are very, very busy. So it's, it's difficult to have free time on this day, but yeah, it's big. So how big is it for Carney Store, though? How many um, birds will you move for Thanksgiving? So uh, as, as many as we can. We're, we're obviously capped. So we move raw and cooked. And uh, the cooked, we, we actually, quite a labor of love because we, we brine them uh, for three or four days beforehand. And then we, we season them, we stuff them, we smoke them. And so our smoker capacity only, only allows us uh, a little under 100 turkeys for today. But then the raw turkeys will, will be a lot, six, 700. What about Christmas? How early do people get their orders in? Uh, we've got a lot in from now already. Um, uh, strangely enough, so this year, I believe Christmas is a Monday. Christmas Eve is the big celebration day, that Sunday. Uh, and we're already seeing a lot, a lot of orders for that Christmas Eve. We talk a lot about the rising population here in Dubai and the UAE. Are you seeing that reflected in your Christmas orders? Yeah, certainly. Uh, certainly there are a lot of people... A lot of people that are making plans early on. We're seeing traffic everywhere. We're seeing traffic at strange times of the day. I mean, I got stuck in traffic the other day at 11.45 p.m. <laughs> so Dubai is a busy place. Everyone wants to be here. You know, people people coming all the time. Uh, you see questions on Facebook and things like that. Where can, hey, where can I get a, a good turkey this, uh, this Christmas? I've just moved to Dubai. So, yeah, a lot of people making plans and a lot of people saying, hey, get it from this place, but book it early or else you're not going to get one. Will you so, not get one? Is there a point where there will be uh, no more turkeys? So there, there, there are bottlenecks in logistics. So there's only only certain number of turkeys that can be delivered. If if people are desperate enough, we tell them come pick up a raw turkey. Um, you know, we'll season it for you. It's already all you have to do is take it home and pop it in the oven. So you don't have to do any of the work. Uh, we do it for them. What are you anticipating this year to be up? Christmas-wise, I mean, rough back of the the envelope percentage on on last year. Um, to be honest, fifty percent. It's it sounds big, but we've been up fifty percent the rest of these these early months, uh, and we're anticipating a fifty percent increase uh, in demand. A lot of that has to do with our increased capacity as well. We have more capacity due to moving into a new facility. But yeah, fifty percent. Dan, quick one about the season. Tis the season. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Thank Happy you very much. Christmas Tom. advance to all those that are celebrating a little later on as well. Um, but tis the season to cook outdoors as well at the moment. You being one of the pioneering pit masters of the region, the original fire starters, if you like. I mean, I'm looking that Hattam's reopened his fire down in Maidan at the moment. They're doing yeah. their thing. We've just had this announcement. This massive fire festival down in Abu Dhabi as well. Yeah. Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey yeah, coming to yeah. town. I mean, yeah. is the is the the outdoor cooking, the cooking on fire side of the food and beverage industry growing at the moment? It's growing. It's been growing over the last two, three years, I would say. There, there are many players in this game, um, you know, many pioneers. Cucina del Sol, you rightly mentioned Hatim. He's done a lot, a lot for that uh, industry as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something that we encourage. 
us foodies who love barbecue, who love to be outside cooking, it's something we're always encouraging. Get out there. I mean, uh, even even if you don't, if you live in an apartment, get out, find a way to get out to the desert. You know, do something. Get outdoors. There's something um, just really, really satisfying about being outside, smelling that fire, listening to some good music, just having a good time with uh, with friends and loved ones. It's the time of year for it. It is indeed. We are going to have to ask the money question, though. For those who are ordering um, Christmas with all of the trimmings, your Brussels sprouts and, and roast potatoes and the rest of it, how does the price compare this year to last year? It's exactly the same. So you can get a raw turkey um, at about 200 dirhams. You can get a cooked one, fully cooked, smoked, ready to go at about 380 from our website. And then you can get our packages. So the whole, you know, we have uh, four or five sides start from about 750 to feed about 12 to 15 people. Is that because very quickly the prices have stayed the same for the raw materials that you're using or are you swallowing some of the increases? Yeah, the, again, the main the main raw material for us is the is the turkey. Um, I mean, everything else is it's relatively cheap materials. You've got potatoes, other things, so... It's it's no biggie there. Daniel Wenies is head turkey man at Carnestore speaking <laughs> to us this morning about the perfect breast-to-leg ratio of a bird getting his in from the US this year. We appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, guys. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.